Well, thank you very much, Jimmy. It's just a great joy to be here and good to see you again. Uh, some of you will remember me coming uh, to do a men's retreat and then preaching on Sunday morning while Jimmy was in India. So I got to see him up here. It's nice to meet him in person. And yes, indeed, Brent Harriman and BJ Oti uh, and some of your other people you've sent to Covenant are some of my dearest friends uh, in the world now. And it's just been a joy to teach them. And it's a special privilege to be here with you today. And I, I was Edith's cook um, a long time ago. I still like cooking, though that's not what I spend my time mostly doing right now. Now, if you could turn with me, please, to Luke chapter 19. I'm doing a series on Luke's gospel when you invite me here. And the last one was on Luke 15, with the title, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Uh, This morning, my title is An Unusual Dinner Invitation, Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 9. This story tells us many things, but one question it answers is the question, what is the Christian's calling in the world? Jesus, in his prayer on the night before he died, which is recorded for us in John 17, uh, Jesus said, Father, I pray that These who believe in me will be in the world as I uh, am in the world. I pray you'll protect them from the evil one there and that they won't be of the world, but that they will be in the world. Well, as we think about what that means, this story we read here about this unusual dinner invitation tells us a little bit about what it ought to mean for us to be in the world. It also tells us many other lovely things, and we'll be looking at some of those. So let's hear these words from Luke chapter 19, verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man whose name was Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. And so he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore fig tree to see Jesus. For he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus hurried and came down and received Jesus joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. We pray that you you will give us your spirit to open this word to us. And we pray your spirit will open our hearts to you. Uh, Do your work in us this morning, we pray. Teach us, uh, 
Encourage us, challenge us, change us, we ask. Fill us with an understanding, a deeper understanding of the love of your Son. And we ask in his name and for his sake. Amen. Now I'm just going to jump right into this story. What do we learn from this account of this unusual dinner invitation? And I'll explain why it's such an unusual invitation as we go along. What do we learn from this? First of all, we learn that Jesus knew this man, even though he'd never met him before. It's obvious they haven't been acquainted because Zacchaeus wants to find out who Jesus is. We don't know what Zacchaeus knew. Maybe he had heard that just earlier that day, Jesus had healed a blind man as he was entering Jericho on the other side. Maybe Zacchaeus has heard that Jesus was rather a different teacher from the usual Jewish rabbis. He was a teacher who liked to be with tax collectors like Zacchaeus and other notoriously sinful people. But for whatever reason, and we can ask him one day, Zacchaeus, what was it that made you run ahead of the crowd and climb up into that tree? For whatever reason, Zacchaeus is eager to see Jesus, and he is so eager to see Jesus that even though he's very powerful and very wealthy, he forgets about what people think about him, and he climbs up up this tree because he's a little man. He can't see over the crowd. And these trees have branches that come out parallel to the ground, so he could just climb up it like a ladder. And he climbs up this tree, and he looks over the crowd, and he sees Jesus. And Jesus looks at him. He's never met him before, but Jesus knows him. Out of all those people that day, there in Jericho, that great crowd, out of all the people in Judea that day, out of all the people out of all the world through all history, Jesus knows this man. He knows his name. He sees into his heart and he sees this desire, this curiosity, maybe simply that, to learn something more about Jesus. And Jesus is eager to meet this man and to spend time with him that they may truly get to know each other. And so Jesus says to him, Zacchaeus, come down. Uh, I must eat at your house today. Now in just the same way, this moment, the Lord sees into each of our hearts and he sees what's there. Jesus sees whether there is any interest, any curiosity to know him at all. Any desire to get to know him better. And Jesus is eager to meet us and to get to know us. And he says to each one of us today, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anybody hear my voice and open the door, I will come and sit with him and eat with him and he with me. Jesus is inviting himself to your house for lunch today. Just as he invited himself to Zacchaeus' house for dinner on this particular day. Now that leads me to a second point. Jesus knows this man, but Jesus is also eager to let Zacchaeus give something to him. And it's a very beautiful thing. So Jesus 
even though he's never met this man before, he invites himself to Jesus, to Zacchaeus' house. Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your home today to eat there. And you might say, well, isn't this kind of rude? Isn't this presumptuous to invite yourself to dinner at the house of somebody you have never met before? Of course, Jesus isn't being rude. So we need to ask what's happening here. Why is there this unusual dinner invitation of Jesus inviting himself to dinner in Zacchaeus' home? And the reason is simply this. Zacchaeus was the kind of person who would never have been invited into the home of any devout Jew in Jesus' day. He is the kind of person whom no devout Jew, no teacher of God's word, no Pharisee or teacher of the law or any devout Jew at all would ever have dreamed of going to the home of Zacchaeus. And I'll say a little bit more about why that is so. But here we can say simply this. It would have been as unthinkable for a Jew who wanted to worship God and serve him to go to Zacchaeus' house would have been even more unthinkable than for a Jew to go to the house of a Gentile. That's how much they disliked people like Zacchaeus. But Jesus is eager to have a meal in Zacchaeus' home to receive what Zacchaeus can give him. There is nothing more honoring to Zacchaeus that Jesus could possibly have done Nothing more dignifying, nothing more respectful, nothing more gracious, nothing kinder than to ask Zacchaeus to give him dinner. And Zacchaeus is amazed. And he rushes down from his tree and he joyfully takes Jesus home with him, much to everybody's astonishment. There's nothing more beautiful that Jesus could have done. And you see this over and over again in the Gospels. When Jesus meets somebody who is socially despised, whose life is trapped in sin and broken in one way or another, Jesus is going to approach them by asking them to give him something. He does this with the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, despised and sinful. He asks her to give him a drink. With a woman who's a prostitute, she washes Jesus' feet with her tears and dries them with her hair. And anoints them with oil. And with Zacchaeus, this despised tax collector, Jesus invites himself to his home. Now, Zacchaeus is somebody who's hated by the people. And that's what's so unusual about this invitation. So we need to ask, well, why was he hated? Well, he's hated because he's a tax collector, first of all. And you might say, well, I work for the IRS and people don't hate me except when it comes to April the 15th each year. And then they look at me a little askance. But the tax service in the first century wasn't quite like the IRS. You may not like the IRS for whatever reason. But people hated tax collectors in the first century. And the reason was because they worked for the Romans. They weren't employed by the Jewish authorities. They worked for Rome, the hated occupying army in Palestine. And the Romans were one of the most brutal rulers, one of the most brutal imperial forces there has ever been. 
in the 50 years or so before this occasion, the Romans had killed 2 million people in present-day France alone. In Luke's Gospel, we read how some of Pilate's soldiers had killed and massacred a group of Galileans and mixed their blood with the blood of the sacrifices they wanted to offer in the temple. They were absolutely brutal. And here is Zacchaeus working for this hated occupying army. Now, he's a collaborator with the enemy. About as popular as if you met somebody who said they openly supported Al-Qaeda and Osama bin Laden. Well, that's just about as how popular Zacchaeus would have been. And another problem was the Romans didn't pay the tax collectors anything. And so the tax collectors had to collect enough money for their own salary when they collected taxes. Now, I don't know how you would handle that. I don't think any of us would handle that very well if we had the freedom just to demand from people whatever we wanted. And because they worked for Rome and were backed up by the Roman army, the people had to give them whatever they demanded. And so tax collectors could become very wealthy because it was a place for greedy people. And Zacchaeus had become very wealthy. That's what the text tells us. And he's not just a regular tax collector demanding money from people for Rome and for himself to line his pockets. He is a chief tax collector, which means he's over the whole Jericho district. And it almost certainly means that every other tax collector in the area had had to bribe him to get their job. So he's done extremely well. He's a wealthy man doing this job for the Romans. But he is, of course, deeply unpopular with the people. And so he's astonished when Jesus invites himself to his house for dinner. Nobody else would have gone there. But Jesus gladly goes. Zacchaeus hurries and comes down from his tree and takes Jesus home. And everybody grumbles. Now we need to think a little bit more about that grumbling. This brings us to a third point. First, Jesus knows him. Second, Jesus honors him in this amazing way. Thirdly, why are the people grumbling? What's really the problem here? Yes, he's unpopular, he's hated because he works for the Romans, but there's something else going on here as well. Jesus, in going to the home of a man like Zacchaeus to eat dinner there, is breaking Jewish social custom, and not just social custom, he's actually breaking the moral and religious laws of Judaism at that time. Jesus, by going to the home of Zacchaeus, who has an unclean profession as a tax collector, Jesus is, in everybody's eyes, polluting himself. He is making himself morally and religiously unclean. That's why everybody's grumbling. They're all grumbling and saying, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. It wasn't just he was politically unpopular. Zacchaeus has an unclean profession. And that's why it was even worse for a Jew to go into the home of somebody like Zacchaeus than it was to go in the home of a Gentile. Some of you will remember later on in the New Testament in Acts chapter 10, the second half of Luke's gospel, we might say. When Luke tells us more about what Jesus was doing now through his disciples. 
We read there in Acts chapter 10 when the Apostle Peter gets to the home of a Gentile, Cornelius. And this is a devout Gentile, a godly Gentile, a Gentile who worships God, who regularly gives to the poor, who's respected by the Jewish community. And when Peter gets to his house, he says this, you are well aware that it is against our law to visit with a Gentile or to eat with him. It was even more against their law to go into the home of somebody like Zacchaeus, a tax collector. So why does Jesus go if he's making himself unclean? And the whole crowd is horrified by this. It's criticizing Jesus and criticizing Zacchaeus, but mostly criticizing Jesus. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. Well, of course, this wasn't God's law at all. God required his people to show mercy. That's what Jesus says on another occasion when he is criticized for eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners. Jesus says to them, the people who are criticizing him, go and learn what this means. And he quotes the Old Testament. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You can offer to God all the purity you like. All the personal separation, all the retreat from the culture, all the retreat from the world. But God does not ask that. What the Lord desires is mercy, not these sacrifices you make up for yourselves. The Jews had many sacrifices they offered to God, the sacrifices of purity and separation from sinners and worldly people. But God says, I didn't ask for that. I asked for mercy. And that's what Jesus tells us here. That the very reason he came into the world, the Son of Man came into the world to seek and to save the lost. I want you to think about this. Why did Jesus come? Did he come in spite of the fact that we're sinners? Did he come even though we're sinners? You think about your own relationship with Jesus, if you know him. Does he love you despite your sin? Is that how you think about it? Or even though you're a sinner? No. Jesus came into the world precisely because we are sinners. If we weren't, he wouldn't have come. The Son of Man came into the world to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came precisely because the world is full of sinful people like Zacchaeus and like you and me. He came because we're sinners and he loves us and he died for us and he saves us because we are sinners. And he desires mercy from us because that's what he has shown to us. Now we need to think, fourthly, a little bit more about the people's reaction. We need to ask, well, was their reaction right or was it wrong? And of course their reaction is completely wrong. They haven't begun to understand God's word at all. The whole Bible from beginning to end 
is about God's love for sinners. There is no other message in this book but that. God's mercy and grace and kindness to sinners. And these people who were criticizing Zacchaeus and criticizing Jesus were forgetting one little thing, or one very big thing. They were looking at Zacchaeus' sin and forgetting their own. It's very easy to do this. But when we truly meet Jesus, it's not other people's sin we see, it's ours. That's why Jesus says this ridiculous thing, this ridiculous image in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you know, take the plank out of your own eye so you can see to see the speck in somebody else's. Nobody's got a plank in their eye, literally, of course. But Jesus is purposely using this ludicrous image to make us stop and think, when I meet God, it's my sin I'm supposed to see, not other people's. And that's what these people were forgetting. They criticize Zacchaeus, they criticize Jesus, but they have forgotten their own sin. So their reaction is one that is completely wrong. Of course, in Jesus' sight, you and I are just as unclean, just as sinful as Zacchaeus. That's the practical reality. We haven't sort of measured up here. It's not that Zacchaeus is down here somewhere in the levels in the field of righteousness, and you and I are up here somewhere, and God's just a little bit higher. When we stand before God, we are completely undone, all of us just as if we were as wicked as somebody like Zacchaeus. That's the reality. We can't look down on other people. When we meet the Lord, if we have truly met Christ, it is our sin that we are to see, not somebody else's. So Jesus goes off to Zacchaeus' home. And he treats Zacchaeus with wonderful grace. He sits there at Zacchaeus' table. He reclines there and they eat together. And sometime during that meal, we don't know exactly when it happened. And this brings us to our fifth point. Sometime during that meal, Zacchaeus stands up. They're obviously reclining at the table. That's why it says he stood up. Luke has compressed the whole day, several hours, into this, these brief verses. They're there at the table and Zacchaeus stands up and he makes this amazing statement in response to Jesus' wonderful kindness to him, the way Jesus has honored him by coming to his home and shown him such love and such mercy. Zacchaeus says, Behold, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anybody of anything, I restore it fourfold. Now what's beautiful about this? I mean, it's incredible. Can you imagine giving half of everything you possess to the poor? Here's a man who's really met Jesus, and it's turned his life totally upside down. He has been so overwhelmed by the grace of Christ, by his mercy and love, coming to eat at his home, to receive him and to be intimate with him. 
So that's what it means to eat in somebody's home. It means to have personal, intimate fellowship. Jesus isn't just preaching at Zacchaeus. He's sitting at his table, eating his food. Enjoying his company. And Zacchaeus responds to this extraordinary love. This wonderful display of grace. By giving away half his goods to the poor. And then the second thing he says is is remarkable too. He says, if I've defrauded anybody of anything, I restore it fourfold. What the law actually required was that if you defrauded anybody of anything, you can go back and read it in the law of Moses. If you defrauded somebody, you had to restore to them what you defrauded plus 20%. So you, you defraud somebody, you give back 120. It was only when you had stolen something, let's say you stole somebody's sheep, and you didn't just steal it, you ate it, and it was all gone. You know, if you had just robbed somebody blind and consumed what you'd stolen, then you had to repay them fourfold. What's happening here is this. Zacchaeus is choosing to regard his sin in the worst possible light. No excuses anymore. I've been greedy. I'm going to count this as outright theft. Not just as defrauding people and being greedy and corrupt. And that's what happens when people really need Christ. We don't make excuses for our sin. We see it for what it actually is in all its ugliness. Say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. So here's Zacchaeus making this amazing statement. And then Jesus says, salvation has come to this house. How beautiful salvation looked in Zacchaeus' home that day. Here's this man, greedy and corrupt, suddenly overflowing with generosity and kindness in response to the generosity and kindness and grace of Jesus Christ. I want to ask you, what does it look like that salvation has come to your house? What does that look like? How would people describe it? I'm going to finish by telling you a story about my father-in-law. He died just last October at the age of 92 and is with the Lord. And he was all his life a farmer in central California in the San Joaquin Valley with about 40 acres of peaches and nectarines and grapes and persimmons and plums and those kinds of fruits. And he was just a wonderful man. He is one of my personal heroes. So left school at the age of 12, so he had no education, but he was such a godly man. And when I was at seminary, at Covenant Seminary in St. Louis back in the late 60s, after my year with the Schaefers in Switzerland, being Edith's cook, well, Schaefer sent me to Covenant Seminary. And then I went back to Labrie and to Pastor Church after seminary. But while we were here in the States, seminary, every summer I would go out to California with my wife Vicky and stay with her parents and I would work on the farm with all the other laborers there. Picking fruit and all those kinds of things. And one day I was walking through the fields. This was in July 1969. I was walking through the fields and I saw my father-in-law and he was down on the ground, kneeling down on the ground in front of a tree, a little peach tree. And he was holding up a peach in each hand. 
and he was praying. And I heard him praying and he said, Lord, these peaches are yours. These trees are yours. This orchard is yours. My farm is yours. I am yours. Thank you for your love to me in Jesus. Help me to honor you in everything I do. I had the privilege of telling everybody about this at his memorial service in October. Even his sons didn't know this. This was absolutely private. They'd never heard the story. Even his wife hadn't heard it. My dear mother-in-law. And he got up and he turned around and he saw me there and he was very embarrassed because this was just private between him and the Lord. It's not any longer because I tell this story all over the world. He's happy about that now. He's with the Lord. But I said to him, Dad, what are you doing? And he said, Son, I read in the Law of Moses how the Israelites were called to offer their first fruits to the Lord. So that's what I'm doing. You see these little peach trees here? They're about three years old. And they've got their first peaches on them. See there, each of them has like four or five big peaches. So every time any of my trees start bearing their fruit, I come out and I just have this little service of first fruits. And I offer the fruit to the Lord because it's his. Everything I have is his. And I said, Dad, that's really wonderful. And it was because it had the most extraordinary impact in his life. He treated those who worked for him with amazing kindness and generosity and fairness. Last year, one of the Mexican laborers who used to come across the border every summer and pick fruit for dad came by to see him and he said, Mr. Buxman, I've been meaning to come and see you for 50 years. I want to tell you, this man is a citizen now, he said, I want to tell you What a privilege it was to work for you. Every summer I crossed the border and I made a beeline for your farm. Because you treated us so differently from any of the other farmers around here. You never paid us the going rate. You never paid us the minimum wage. You paid us really generously. At his memorial service, one man stood up and said, He always paid me more than I deserved. And he said, Other farmers treated us like dirt. You made lunch for us often. You ate with us. You cared about our families. Many people said things like this at his memorial service. Of a small farmer. And this man said, The way you treated me changed my whole life. I've raised my sons to, that they should be the kind of men like you who love God and who seek to serve him and honor him. This is the first impact he had. Just in his business, it transformed the way he did business. Secondly, he was incredibly generous. He wasn't a wealthy man, but all his life he gave away, for many years, more than half of his income. And he wasn't wealthy. Like Zacchaeus, half of it he gave away. One year he was audited by the IRS. He showed me the letter they sent him. He he kept it locked up and he was kind of proud of it, and rightly so. I've never seen a letter like this. It was a letter of commendation from the IRS. They said, Mr. Buxman, your bookkeeping is impeccable. 
And you are extraordinarily generous. There's only one problem with your tax return. You're not allowed to give this much away. You know, there's a limit, you know, on what you can claim on your tax return as charitable giving. He didn't know that because dad didn't have any limit to his giving. Of course, he carried on giving just as much, even though it was way over the limit and just knew that he could only put so much down on his tax return in the future. It was an amazing letter. He was extraordinarily generous and he was hospitable. And his life had a powerful impact on his sons. He has three sons and a daughter, my wife. And all four of them are generous like this and hospitable and kind. That's what it looked like that salvation came to dwell in my father-in-law's home. What does it look like that salvation dwells in your home? What impact has it had on your life that Jesus has called you by name? And Jesus has invited himself to your home to eat there with you and to be your friend and to say, Randy Ray or whoever it is or Jimmy Young, I'm honored to know you. I want to be your friend. He's come to our table and he's eaten with us. And he has been merciful and gracious and forgiven our sins and saved us in our lostness. But what does it look like that we know him? He came to seek and save the lost. And he desires that salvation dwell in our homes in the most beautiful way. Let's pray to him. Oh, Lord Jesus, you are so gracious and kind. Even in our rebellion and unbelief and idolatry and disobedience, you have come because you love us and you desire to save us. We pray that you will dwell in our hearts today, in our homes. And we pray that our homes and our lives may look something like Zacchaeus, a life of just beauty and generosity and goodness and graciousness to our fellow sinners around us rather than separation from them. Lord, pour the love of Christ into our hearts today, we pray, for Jesus' sake and for his glory and for the expansion of his kingdom here in Memphis and across the world. Amen.